Alright, so we're going to get right into it this morning. Lots of content. We start off with some scripture to read for you. The title of this morning's teaching is, Your Kingdom Come. It falls right in line with the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. Matthew 5, it says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Like here in, in Redmond, as it is in heaven. James chapter 1, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Later in chapter 2, he says, But someone will say to you, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. (laughs) But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? In Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? In your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, and catch this word, practice lawlessness. Practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Lastly, Matthew chapter 11 Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you pray with me before we get any further? Jesus, just hearing your words that you offer us rest that just does something for my soul right now. I think I can speak on behalf of everyone in this room. Jesus, we desire what you have to offer, what you call life and life to the fullest. And we're not here on Sundays just to play into a routine. This isn't an event or a performance, but we believe that right now, sitting where we are, we can encounter the living God. So Holy Spirit, would you move through this room? Would you do the things that humans are incapable of? Would you connect the dots for us? Would you show us how to have rest and life to the fullest? Help our minds to be present in this moment. You are here, and you have our attention, God. Your will be done. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Dallas Willard said, the really good news for humanity is that Jesus is now taking students in the master class of life. So the message of and about him is specifically a gospel for your life now. Not just for dying. 
It's about living now as his apprentice, disciple, in kingdom living, not just as a consumer of his merits, but our future, however far we look, is a natural extension of the faith by which we live now and the life in which we now participate. Eternity is now, sorry, eternity is now in flight, and we with it, like it or not. Now, you hear us say often around here that we exist to make disciples. Uh, This is literally written on the wall right by Frank in the back. There's a flag. It says, be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Just as Jesus was animated by the Holy Spirit, we believe every person in this room, as we become disciples and apprentices to him, can be empowered by his Holy Spirit. And we believe, like Dallas Willard said, that discipleship is the heart of the gospel. Okay, a lot of information already. Listen, this morning is going to be a little bit like throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks, all right? You guys have not thrown spaghetti against the wall? Come on, it's great. You must not have a two-year-old, okay? <laughs> I'm going to give you, and I, I can't wait to do this. I, this is, the content in this teaching is stuff that I have been waiting to share with you guys for the last two years. Uh, There's only one problem. It really should be like three teachings, and I'm just packing it and condensing it all into one teaching. So buckle up. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. Today, we're going to look at what were paradigm shifts for myself. Paradigm shift. So what's a paradigm shift? Let's answer that. A paradigm shift is when our systems or patterns or habits or routines or way of life are changed. Willer quoted a popular business essay to make this point. He said, your system, and I love this quote, your system is perfectly designed to yield the results you are getting. Let that stay up there for a second. Look at that. Your system is perfectly designed to yield the results you are getting. In the biblical language, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap life and life to the fullest. That's Galatians. So let me ask you the question. Are you happy with the results you are getting? Your system, your way of life, are you happy with the results you are getting? And more specifically, in your discipleship to Jesus, are you happy with the results you are getting? You may be reading your Bible, you may be coming to church, you know, three days a week and tithing and singing hallelujah and, and you serve down with the kids, thank you, you know, but inwardly you're still miserable, you're stressed, you're bitter, you're depleted and outwardly you still find yourself snapping at your spouse or your kids or complaining or gossiping or having that bitterness about what that person or that boss said about you years ago. You're still hurried, you're still rushed from one place to the next everywhere you go, You're stuck in the same old addictions from your past. It's like no matter how hard we try, there's this this disappointment, this wreckage all around us. We try to divert our attention. We try to not dwell on it, but we wake up every morning hoping for health and love, justice and success, to build quick mental and emotional defenses against the tyranny of the urgent, to try to keep our hopes up, our hopes up. So are there any promises, any hopes exempt from this cycle, this system of disappointment? 
You know, personal example for me, when I was in ministry, for 15 years, right, I was doing ministry for 15 years, I'd made, um, and yet, in that 15 years, I really hadn't made any significant changes in my soul. That is to say, I was just as spiritually, I was just as spiritually immature. I'm going to fix it, Brett. Don't do it. Don't put me on that microphone. I don't want it. Just stick my hip out there. Okay. It was as if I was just as spiritually immature as I was 15 years ago when I first met Christ. I was grumpy, incredibly anxious, controlling, unloving. I was a bad friend. I was a bad family member. I was bad at any long-term commitments. I didn't know how to genuinely love my neighbor's let alone my enemies. And I fostered all kinds of addictions, soccer, video game, coffee, uh, consumerism. Again, 15 years into my walk with Jesus. Put another way, I knew a lot about how to be in a right relationship with God, but I wasn't in a right relationship with others. I wasn't in a right relationship with creation. And I wasn't, most surprisingly, in a right relationship with myself. It's a conflict in my own self. I was burning out, going down in flames. What's really funny about all of that in that time of life is I was a, a Christian artist, I guess is what you call it. Like I played music in the Christian industry, and I was going all around the world playing songs, encouraging Christians, and go figure, with a song that I had written all about burning out, all about how immature I was as a Christian. And I'd be doing radio interviews. Why did you write this song? Oh, well, I got into youth ministry and I burned out. Oh, that's great. Christians ate it up. They loved it for some reason. Go figure, right? But it was a reality. It was true. It was happening in my soul. And things needed, things needed to change. Now, before, before I got saved, I want to show you just a, a, like a picture of what my life looked like. So this is before I got saved. I was in middle school. This is the worldly pressure that I was feeling. It was dressed like this. You know, wear these clothing, this type of clothing, otherwise you're not cool. You know, watch and listen to this stuff, these movies or these podcasts or these bands. Be tolerant, that is, unless somebody is wrong, right? (laughs) Get rich or famous. Like, do whatever you can to be influential. Be sexually active or active with any addiction, Talk like this. Use all these jokes. When I was growing up, it was Jim Carrey. So you had to know every line of Jim Carrey, all the sarcastic stuff. And, and this, this whole thing, this, this set of worldly pressures took its toll on me and left me feeling anxious. We can put the next slide up. Anxious, stressed, confused, prisoner, and enslaved. Do you guys remember what that feeling was like before you knew Jesus? Peterson said, people submerged in a culture swarming with lies and malice feel as if they are drowning in it. They can trust nothing they hear, depend on no one they meet, and such dissatisfaction with the world as it is, is preparing you for traveling in the way of Christian discipleship. The dissatisfaction coupled with a longing for peace and truth and rest can set us on a pilgrim path to the wholeness in God. So then, right, out of all that dissatisfaction, I experienced salvation. Jesus saves, right? And there was this incredible freedom. Next slide. Yes, this felt awesome. This was amazing. 
for two months, right? <laughs> for two months, I had freedom. And then, and catch this next slide now, and then all these pressures began creeping out again, but in a new form, and I call them cultural Christian pressures. Dress modest, but also trendy. <laughs> you know, all the Hillsong pastors, they look so cool, you know? Christian music only, right? No secular music. And so we trashed our CDs, the hard jewel cases. Remember this, Brett? How many CDs did you rebuy after you burnt them or trashed them? <laughs> You're like, I still really like my Jurassic Park soundtrack. Okay. <clears throat> debate Bible. Like, if you're going to be smart and talk intelligent, you know, debate Bible issues on social media, right? Be famous, but as a pastor or evangelist or an influencer on Instagram, right? Get married, right, because you want to have sex. And have kids now, you know? And then talk like your pastor, right? And all of these pressures amounted to, guess what? Next slide. Anxious, stressed, confused, prisoner, enslaved. You guys feel this? The pressures and influences were like the Pharisees that Jesus opposed. They were based on justification and I had to justify my lifestyle. And then I would use that to then judge others. So we'll return to these slides at the end. There's something there for us. So keep this in the back of your mind. Relevance is coming. Now, assuming many of us aren't happy with the results we're getting, our system, right, our paradigms, we need to look at those habits, those routines, those way of life, and we need to make some changes. And this is where we get into the teaching, really. Here's simply three things that caused me to rewire my soul that I want to give you guys this morning. Are you guys ready? I know, that was just the intro, okay? (laughs) Good news, number one, is understanding the kingdom of God. And we just watched the video right at the beginning of this teaching, so we can just cruise through these notes. The main thing to understand is that we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. The kingdom has come, and it is expanding through those who claim Jesus as Lord. Look again at this slide, Uh, the one before that. Yeah, here we go. We've occasionally referenced that the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, the, the gospel writers bounce back and forth between those two terms. They mean the same thing. We've occasionally referenced that as the now and not yet. Can you say that with me? Now and not yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, now and not yet. Yet. Okay. What does this mean for Redeemer's Church moving forward into 2022? It means that we're not just sitting around waiting to go to heaven. No, we're actively partnering with God to bring about his kingdom here in Redmond as it is in the space where he rules in your inner life, your heart, your soul, your mind, which then spills into your relationships in your family, your school, your workplace, and all that you do, right? Look at this next slide, and I love this slide. This is Jesus' ministry, right? He was taking the kingdom of God out into the world, and everywhere he went, the Spirit was active in him, bringing people, inviting them into that rest, into that life that is fullest. So this means we have a purpose. That's good news. As image bearers of God, we do something in this life. We have a greater meaning beyond simply evangelizing to get people into heaven before we die. Which brings us to number two, understanding salvation. We're cruising, right? That was the first point. Done, okay? Let me show you something terrifying. 
Wait for it. Is it in there? Oh, no. Next, it's the picture slide. It's got a bunch of pictures. It's not in there? Oh, my gosh. That actually saves me a little bit. Um, I was unsure about showing these pictures. Uh, it, it was a bunch of pictures of me in 2002. And, um, and I'm, I'm evangelizing on the streets of Waikiki. I was doing a thing called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And um, you just come to me afterwards. I'll sh- uh, yeah, I will show you some fun pictures. I'll just say this. There is an eyebrow ring, and there's a police officer. You'll just leave it there. Okay. Um, so we were evangelizing on, the, on Waikiki, and we would do this every week when I was a part of Youth with a Mission. We'd go down to the streets. And I have to say, I am a lousy evangelist. Um, uh, <laughs> jokes that won't make sense. Okay. At that time, I understood the gospel as a personal prayer, right? That Jesus died on the cross for my sins to forgive me so that I could go to heaven, right? That's how I understood the gospel. And I'm guessing many of us in this room would have a similar version, right? If I were to ask you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the gospel, don't worry, I'm not going to. But if I were to ask you to do that, you'd say something, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, and I uh, believe that in my heart, right? And you come, and then I will go to heaven when I die or something like that. And it looks a little bit like this. How long has that been up behind me? Just now? <laughs> You're giving away the answers, Matt. Come on. The gospel, right? The gospel is getting saved. And there's that little guy from the video, right? A wee, just right over to the other side. So saved, internal confession, and then will be saved. That's eternity in heaven. And while we're at, do we have the next slide? Does that have? Yeah, there I am. So that's one of those pictures of me from YWAM. That is a $1 bill hanging out of my hat. The hat is darn seagulls with all the seagull poop on it. Yep. Great trucker stop by, and the eyebrow rings and everything. So there I am, okay? So we'll just say that's me. The gospel in this way is an internal confession, right? It's just between you and the Lord. No one else can know. Therefore, no one else can question it. And we'll wait to see if it's valid when we get to heaven. Now, Willard called this barcode Christianity, right? (laughs) Nobody knows until, you know, you die, and then you get scanned, and either you're in or you're out, right? Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace, And, or he used this term, and I love this, fire insurance, right? It's fire insurance. Oh, sure, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. If that means I'll get a free, you know, scan into heaven. Fire insurance. Okay, so what's wrong with this? Well, I'm just going to speak personally, right? Personally, I got stuck in what Willard would call sin management. So maybe this sounds familiar or will look familiar, But it's the between time, the between getting saved and going to heaven. Next slide. Sin management is this. For me, this was the first five years of walking with Jesus. You get saved. You then leave church, go sin, feel guilty, come back to church, get saved again, and then do that on repeat. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Was this just me? I mean, this literally happened to me, right? I went to camp. Like, yes, I'll follow Jesus, took the bus ride home. The next week, Ryan Sample, my youth pastor, gave an invitation to know the Lord. And I was like, that still sounds amazing. I'm in. Rose my hand, takes me out to the hallway. Michael, we did this last week, you know. Repeat. You end up in this cycle. Your paradigm, your system ends up 
well, one, going to church a lot, right? And especially if you're in Southern Oregon, right, Brett? In Medford, you sin a lot. You have a lot of ways to sin. So you end up going to church a lot to kind of get over this guilty feeling. But what's interesting about this system is after a while of doing this, guilt, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. When you feel guilty, it's okay. It usually means, oh, I've got to do something about that. But when guilt turns to shame is where we have an identity crisis. And that's what happened for me. After a while, it wasn't like, oh, I need to, I need to go confess my sin. Instead, it was, I'm a sinner, or I'm just a sinner. My identity became sinner. There's a problem with that. Uh, Willard observed this in the evangelical church, and he, here's his jab. He just said, currently, we are not only saved by grace, we are paralyzed by it. Ouch. But one thing I got right as a 19-year-old at YOM, clearly not my fashion sense, right, is this. Jesus is Lord of all, or he isn't Lord at all. Take a look at that. See the difference? Jesus is Lord of all, or he isn't Lord at all. Think about that. Did you know there are a lot of different explanations of the Gospels, as we went over that? Not a bad thing. Some are long. Take, for example, the Gospel of Matthew, 28 chapters. It took us a year, right? That's the Gospel, according to Matthew. For Jesus, the Gospel was simply this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And some can be really short. In fact, here is the shortest version of the Gospel I know. Gospel equals Jesus is Lord. It's Lordship. I was talking to a friend last night. I was going over these notes with him, and he said, man, salvation, it's all about lordship. Either Jesus is actually Lord and King, or he is not. So what about salvation? In school, we call it soteriology. How do we understand salvation? Let's ask that question. Next slide. I became increasingly curious about this as I read the Bible. Jesus saves, right? Jesus is the one who saves. Problem with that is, if you start in your Bible in Genesis, There's a whole lot of people that get saved before Jesus. Israel knew God, Yahweh, as the God of salvation. So it caused me to question, what's what's going on? How do we understand salvation? So what is salvation? Let's start with like a reset button. I think we just need to like clear our minds from all the cultural Christianity. You know, like if it was... Uh, flannel grass, if you're a little bit older growing up, like, let's erase that. If it was McGee and me, like, forget that for a second. Salty, the big blue Bible. I'm a Bible. I'm going to Bible you, you know. Or uh, Veggie Tales, God forbid. You know, let's just wipe that clean, okay? Eugene Peterson has us enter in this realm. He says, look at the first part of the word salvation, salve. It's like healing, like a healing ointment, or to salvage a ship. Let's think about it through that lens. This is an event, but it's also a process. It's not either or, it's, it's both end. It's an event, and it's a process. So the wound or the wreckage can be saved initially, but then there's still a time of healing and, and perhaps a repurposing so that it can function even better than it was before it got injured or wrecked. I broke my thumb about a year and a half ago uh, playing soccer down in the, what do they call it, the something pit? The, the spud bowl, yeah. <laughs> what were you doing at the spud bowl, man? Breaking my thumb. So 
what happened is there was this moment of like immediate salvation. I looked at my thumb. I said, it's not supposed to bend that way. And I reset it right there on the spot. I drove myself down to St. Charles. They put a cast on it and gave me some painkiller. Hallelujah, right? (laughs) That was the initial saving. But then it took a year and a half for the pain in my thumb to go away. But here's what's cool. My thumb is actually stronger than it ever was because of the way the bones heal. I have a stronger thumb through that whole process. I was saved. I was being saved, being healed. And then one day in my glorified body, when I, when I am with Jesus face to face, I'm going to have amazing thumbs. Watch out. Okay? <laughs> so here's how we can imagine salvation. Salvation is being saved, or sorry, saved, being saved, and will be saved. We are saved. That was an event in time that happened. We are being saved, this process, and one day, eternity, new heavens, new earth, we will be saved. And maybe you've heard from popular theology this with different terms, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now, there's a lot of debate about these three things, okay? Um, I'm going to give you my definitions in hopes to, like, keep us from going down a crazy, gnarly rabbit hole that would keep us here for, like, two weeks, okay? So, first, justification. This is when you believe the gospel. This is when you are saved, justification. You believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and, yes, atonement. Christ certainly died for your sin. Your faith in him has made you righteous, And we can look at Romans chapter 3, but I will let you guys read this on your own time. So the next, or the main point of justification is this. You are in Christ. When you first got saved, when I first rose my hand at camp and said, yeah, I want to make Jesus Lord, I was then justified. I was in Christ. And the biblical writers have all sorts of things to say about in Christ. Here's just a few of them. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Do we have that slide, Matt? I skipped one, so. Yes, no, coming up. I'll keep going. You guys just listen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old things have gone. The new is here. And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Here, it comes up all the time in the New Testament. In my own words, you get to be with Jesus when you are justified, when you are saved. You're on the same team, so to speak. Now, the next thing, salvation. If you want to go back to that last slide, you can, Matt. Salvation is a process by which Christians are set apart for God from the rest of the world. The process, right, by which Christians are made holy. Some people would call this progressive sanctification, as it, uh, I think John Wesley would call it that. It is, in effect, our obedience to the word of God in one's life. It is the same as growing in the Lord or spiritual maturity. We're going to camp here for a second. As we say around here, it is becoming like Jesus and doing the things he did. That is our being saved, our sanctification. More on that in a second. But finally, glorification, the we will be saved. This is the future hope of resurrection. Our infirmities, ignorance, and mistakes 
being rid of, as John Wesley once said. Glorification is new heavens, new earth, overlapping once again, where we'll be standing with Jesus in resurrected bodies like his. You guys know the song. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it for you. I've been put to shame. Jeff, that's your job, man. If you want to come up here and give us a rendition, I'm down. That is the glorification. We're there standing with Jesus. Now remember, a lot of us get stuck in that sin management cycle. Why? Because we are so focused on if we are saved, right? That's a big topic with a lot of books and a lot of trees that have suffered over that. (laughs) If you are saved, right? But today, we're just looking at how we are saved, okay? How we are saved. Therefore, justification was an event that time you got saved. You didn't earn it, and you can't earn it. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, I'll read this to you. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The death he died, he died to once, or he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God. I love that song that uh, Jeff and Ben shared with us. We're going to sing that over and over again. The resurrection. We're going to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus. Okay, now wake up, Redeemers. We need to get out of this sin management cycle. You can change. There is hope. I know that for you it feels like you're stuck back at justification, that your faith has been paralyzed, but it is time to move forward. Stop trying to put Jesus back on the cross. Enter into your new life. Hebrews 9 says this, Nor did Jesus enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation, yep, to those who are waiting for him. So all that to say, this vicious cycle to keep seeking justification, Jesus intended intended something else for you. And what does this have to do with kingdom? Well, to quote Willard, he says, and what becomes sin management? Think bad. Getting to heaven after death is the sole target of divine and human efforts for salvation. It is what such efforts are aimed at rather than a byproduct or natural outcome of something else that is the target. So check this out. He says, but we get a totally different picture of salvation, faith, and forgiveness if we regard the kingdom of God as the target. The words and acts of Jesus naturally suggest that living for the kingdom of God is indeed salvation with discipleship, forgiveness, and heaven to come as its natural parts. Kind of heady, but I'm hoping all of you will go read Dallas Willard after today, all right? Such good stuff. So if the kingdom of heaven is Anywhere God's will is done, meaning it can grow in your soul, relationships, and geographic location, then we have a role to play in this lifetime. Because our future, we are a future people, a new humanity, as Andrew taught last week. We are ushering in new heaven and new earth here today. In Jesus, the work of the kingdom was never just believe in me. 
but be with me, learn from me, do the things I do. Okay, last thing, we're almost done, which this brings us to number three, a segue into our new series in a couple weeks, Understanding Sanctification. This is your ongoing sanctification in this life. The being saved part is a new way to be human. What historically has been called maybe spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines or a rule of life, don't let that scare you, (laughs) but Jesus and the early church simply called it the way. The way, a new way to be human, to live. Second Peter chapter 1, grace and peace be yours in abundance to the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us just a few tips and some quotable verses. No, Jesus has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. There's promises. So that through them you may You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. We participate. Thessalonians says, My God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Philippians, and this comes right after a huge proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Are you guys catching my drift? There's work to do. There's a purpose in this lifetime. The prayer of Jesus, John 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Put another way, we are saved from good works to good works. Catch that? We are saved from good. There's nothing you can do to get that justification from Jesus, to be put in Jesus Christ. But once you're there, you're in Jesus. What did Jesus go do? He spread the kingdom of heaven everywhere he went. That is now your role to play. So we're going to return now to the slides I showed you at the beginning. Being saved. Jesus is Lord. Uh, do we have another slide with the circle and the arrows coming out? Being saved. Yeah, that one. Thank you, Matt. Being saved. Jesus is Lord. And this is what will inevitably happen when you begin to put into practice the way of Jesus. Next slide. We become peacemakers everywhere we go. It's not just the inner peace we have, it's an outward application of that peace. Patience, endurance, and hope. This is what we have. Kindness and generosity, self-control. You guys catching that I'm doing the fruits of the Spirit here? Kind of intertwined? Yeah. Galatians, fruits of the Spirit. Self-control, simplicity, and rest. We're not bought into consumerism and the go, go, go pace of culture. No, we actually take a break. We do a spiritual discipline of Sabbath, and we stop on Saturdays and enjoy what God has done. Sacrificial love. The true biblical definition of love is not, has nothing to do with what you get out of it. It's what you do to the benefit of the other person. That is what love is, sacrificial love. And then, of course, joy. Thank God. Joy coupled with gratitude. It exists. You can have these things, people. Don't they sound good? Yes, I want that. 
This is not justification. This is sanctification. When you are changed, or in the words of the Bible, when you're transformed. Alas, a new way to be human. That's what our new series is going to be in a couple weeks. A new way to be human. It's good news because it actually is good news. Jesus, in Matthew 11, he says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Yoke was a Jewish euphemism of saying, my way of life, like my teachings, my practices. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yes, Jesus is now taking students to the master class of life. So go ahead and put your Bible away or your notes. We're going to end here. The band is going to come back up. There is hope for you and I to change. We don't have to be the same irritable, grumpy, sour, stressed, unloving, un-Jesus-like person we were yesterday. This change, though, it's not going to happen overnight. Sorry. It's not like worldly changes that are offered in the checkout aisle at Walmart or on your Instagram feed or on TikTok. It doesn't happen instantly. But there is hope. By the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, some new practices or habits that we can use to be transformed. Peterson, Eugene Peterson called discipleship a long obedience in the same direction. You won't get that kind of instruction on TikTok. You just won't, all right? A long obedience in the same direction. That is discipleship. That is the being sanctified, the being saved. So just the other day, after 10 years or so, of putting the practices of Jesus into my actual life. I had one of those moments where a friend came over, a friend that I hadn't seen in a decade or so. And she was talking to my wife, and I kind of overheard the conversation. She goes, Michael's changed. And my wife was like, really? <laughs> what do you mean? She said, I don't know. I, I think he's actually kinder. You know, like, question mark, kinder? You know? <laughs> Ten years, putting the practices of Jesus in my life. I'll take it, okay? (laughs) Now, I'm not all out celebrating left, but that was encouraging. It was a taste of heaven here in this lifetime. And I hope it's not just that I'm kinder. I hope that if you were to look into my priorities, where I spend my time, my relationships, if you look into my bank account, you would see a very, very different person than I was ten years ago, twenty years ago. And likewise, if we were to flash forward another 10, 20, 30 years, I'll still be dressing the same, but I'd like to think I would become a more kinder, loving person, more like Jesus. So lastly, and this is not for my sake. I hope you guys realize that. This is not self-help, you know, following Jesus and discipleship. It's not necessarily about you. You will get something out of it, but it's for others, You become more like Jesus, not for yourself, but for the people that are around you right here, the people that you come in contact with out there. Becoming more like Jesus isn't actually for me. It's for you. It's not actually what I get out of it. So good. More on that in coming months. Again, just a little bit of a teaser for what we're going to kick off in a couple of weeks. 
As we respond in worship, I want to leave you guys with a couple of questions. One, ask yourself, do I want to change? Do I want to change? And then second thing, well, actually, before we move on, do I want to change? Do you want to move forward in this life with Jesus? Do you want to be free from the addiction? Do you believe that your marriage can be better? Do you want to overcome that debilitating anxiety? Do you want to see transformation in your thought life, in your actions, in your speech? Do you want to be faithful to your commitments? To love your friends, family, church, to love that annoying neighbor, and perhaps someday to even love your enemies? I want that. Do you want that? If so, second question, am I ready to become a disciple of Jesus at whatever it costs? Now, I'll admit, this is a weird question to ask a room full of Christians, but Jesus did this all the time in the Gospels. There was disciples, and then there were just like the fans that followed him, the easy Instagram follows, you know? And he constantly would put these questions before them. Look, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. If your system isn't yielding Jesus' results, life to the fullest, then we've got to change it up. The Bible has a word for this. It's called repentance. You guys have heard that word before? Yeah. It's a word I'm very familiar with. Just want to let that, you know, I'm good at this. Repentance, tell you all about it. A lot of experience. I love this definition of it, though. Repentance is the realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus and become his disciple in the path of peace. So do you want to become an apprentice, a disciple to Jesus at whatever the cost is? And what is it going to cost you? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So as we respond in song and table, be sure to have that conversation with God. And let's all stand right now before we get into music. I want to encourage you guys to have that authentic conversation that only you can have with God. Do you want to change? There is the ability to change. We have to actually follow Jesus, not just cultural Christianity stuff. It's going to be hard work, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it. So ask yourself those questions. Spend this time, even right now, just 20 seconds, taking a deep breath, making yourself available to God. Let me pray for us. Actually, if it helps, just to hold out your hands like this, palms up, just as a way of saying, God, I'm present here with you, ready to receive. Take a deep breath. Father, we see that your ways are good, that your ways are life-giving. You give life. You restore us. You give us hope. So as we respond now in worship, Lord, would you hear the cry of your children? And all God's people said, amen.